0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of you want to do what. Today we've got James Pringle on. He's the founder and managing partner of Goldsmith Ventures. Hi James.
1: Hi Daniel, thanks for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure. Um, let's jump straight in. Do you want to tell everyone a bit about what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm currently launching a new VC fund. Um, I've done one before and I also run one of the UK's largest investor networks, which is basically made up of angels and family officers that invest in startups. So we specialize in supporting UK tech companies with fundraising.
0: I mean, that sounds incredibly cool. What a job. I mean, it must be so varied and also so exciting all the time working with these amazing startups. It is,
1: yeah. So it's a very relationship driven role. Um, it's either speaking to investors and understanding their needs and their interests and what they're looking for. Um, But the really exciting bit is speaking to founders that are trying to change the world in some way or change the way we live. And that's a really exciting bit. So getting to speak to founders is a huge privilege. Um, And I've been a founder myself of a tech company. So I hope that I bring a bit of kind of understanding to what they're going through, the Mm -hmm. the level of responsibility that they have, and the kind of pressures and pains of Being a founder, which can sometimes be a little bit lonely, but can also be the most exhilarating thing um, to to kind of give you purpose around. So uh, yeah, it's it is a great role. I absolutely love it, and it's been a bit of a journey to get here.
0: I I mean, like you say, you're we're lucky enough on this podcast to have you know founders for amazing companies, and recently we've had quite a few from sort of tech um, industries or people using tech to revolutionize old industries, which has just been so fascinating. I can talk to them for hours. Um, but is that, how did this all come about? So what's your journey? How did you actually get into be this position? Because, I mean, I can't imagine there's a straight path to, to doing what you do.
1: Well, there there is an old straight path, which is completely sort of changing. So the, the traditional path to what I do is really, go to a top tier university, then go and work for McKinsey, <laughs> then do an MBA yeah. and then end up at a VC firm as an associate. And then after enough time, launch your own fund. Um, my route is very, very different for a whole load of reasons and um, personal choices. So I actually struggled to get into university because I um, got three C's, at A level first time around, um, partly I would say to do with the fact that I I had glandular fever for about four months of my A-level year, which wasn't particularly helpful. Um, But I also wasn't doing the right subjects and wasn't particularly motivated. So (laughs) I actually had to go and retake my A-levels, which meant I had a sort of half gap year rather than a a normal one. Mm. And um, that did get me into university, which was great. I went to Newcastle. It was a lot of fun and a great place to study. But uh, what I realised quite quickly is that applying for summer internships and graduate schemes, often the application forms would ask you for your first set of A-level results, not what you got after taking lots of retakes. (laughs) And unfortunately, it would often kind of grey out the next button when I put in what I actually got. (laughs) Um, So I couldn't really get a job or, you know, that's what it felt like. I was Mm. probably slightly aiming too high, Um, but it felt like uh, there was this kind of barrier to entry based on something that was no longer in my control and historical. So I had a real kind of moment where I thought, well, what am I really excited about? And it was kind of at the time where, you know, Facebook was getting massive and um, the, the UK tech scene was still very, very early in its kind of infancy. And I thought, well, I'd love to be a founder. I'd love to start companies. I'd shown a little bit of entrepreneurial flair in my teenage years, but nothing serious. But Mm -hmm. I I kind of knew that I wanted to be a founder. And I thought, well, the only way I'm gonna get good at that is by doing it and being a founder and making a ton of mistakes. So I founded my first business in my placement year between second and third year at university. And it was an app. And that got me kind of hooked into the tech world and uh, had a lot of fun. It was an app that you could book live comedy events through. So I got to go to loads of comedy. Uh, We sold a few thousand tickets, but unfortunately, people aren't that spontaneous. They generally (laughs) plan weeks or months or sometimes years in advance for arena tickets. So Mm. um, it never quite took off. But when I went back for my third year, I... Had learned so much from just doing a year of running my own company that I kind of sort of breezed through my final year and massively improved my results and <laughs> got the degree I wanted, um, which helped kind of get my parents off my back a little bit. And then uh, I decided to then go and work for a VC backed startup that was much further ahead in its journey. And that company went through Seed Camp. So one of Europe's top accelerator programs, I was the first employee and within about six months, we were sitting in Google campus surrounded by lots of other amazing founders and designers, developers, angels, VCs. And again, just trying to be a sponge, just trying to Mm -hmm. learn as much as possible, Um, stayed there for a few years and then founded a business in 2015 called Suggestive, which was a SaaS company, so software as a service. Yeah. And our clients included people like The Telegraph, The Mail Online, Bloomberg, oh, wow. Lab Bible, Capital Radio, New York Post. Wow. Uh, again, we raised money, VC money, and grew pretty pretty quickly. And then uh, the market we were in changed slightly. We were in video, and video went from being fairly underserved with technology to suddenly video being absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that did change the unit economics. So. We decided not to raise more money, which was a good decision. And we reached out to a load of our partners and said we're we're available to be acquired actually. And we were acquired in 2019 by wow. one of our partners, which was a great outcome. It wasn't life-changing by any means. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not splashed all over tech country or anything like that, but <laughs> we got a good outcome. And that kind of then freed me up to take all of that knowledge and understanding of being you know, close to the ice face or whatever the saying is and, and consider what I want to do next. And the thing I wanted to do next was to work with lots of founders and see lots of different business ideas and be an investor. Um, And I'm I'm probably rambling a little bit, but I I decided that actually going and working for a VC firm I wasn't actually going to get the experience I needed to mm. to run my own VC firm, which was the ultimate goal. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to sit on an investment committee and make a decision about which company we invested in. I wasn't going to raise the fund or have access to the people that did and who they raised it from. Um, and I wasn't going to be kind of leading the operational side. So. I decided to launch an investor network instead and just start doing deals. And I, I kind of knew how that all worked. So that that helped. And we we scaled pretty quickly um, through some of my kind of entrepreneurial, now sort of using social platforms and things like that. And then we started to build a pretty good portfolio and that quickly led to me being invited to be a co-founder of a new fund, which was called Love Ventures. And that was a FinTech PropTech fund and that was amazing that was like within 12 months i got to where i wanted to be which was to be a founder of my own fund Mm. the only thing was i was in business with two brothers and they were the other two founders so we did one fund together but i realized that for me to really execute the vision i had um i needed to go alone so i i left and i'm in the process of getting our fca approval so we can launch goldsmith ventures which is really really exciting
0: i mean to anybody that's sort of um the way of mind of you know entrepreneurial or something like that or it sounds like to me you're a guy that likes to uh put your hand in lots of different pies and you have lots of different interests and that is something that being i don't know you know being uh in charge of a vc fund would allow you to do right
1: yeah, so you get you get a lot of variety for sure at doing what we do. We some days you're you're asking for money and raising money from someone else. The next day you're being a decision maker about whether someone else has got the right business to invest in. So that's quite fun, kind of sitting on both sides of that. You have to you still have to do a load of the operational and administrative side of running a company. So hiring, growing, managing team members. Um tax accounts everything (laughs) and i still feel like i'm a founder i've just stopped founding tech companies and i'm founding venture companies and um hopefully these will be the last ones i found hopefully we'll just um build a kind of franchise legacy vc from here on in for the next sort of 30 40 years so that feels very good that i know what i want to do and that i'm on that path to doing it which i think is a, a, a big struggle for a lot of people is not even really knowing what the end goal is. And so it's very hard to plan and work towards something when you don't know where you're going. I feel very lucky that I love what I do. And I know that I can do it for the next 30, 40 years. And that if I do it well, then um, I have a chance to be fairly successful as well, which is important to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's in the, you know, in this world of, sort of fintech and insurtech and uh, even in e-commerce, there's a ton of sort of funds and venture capital firm funds and, you know, angel investors and things like that, which are now starting smaller companies to invest in sort of seed rounds and and, and very, very early startups. So the kind of job you're doing or, you know, the people that you're basically looking to employ there's gonna be more of these jobs around would you agree and you know you don't actually have to go and work for the likes of mckinsey there will be opportunity sort of with these newer companies like like the one you're starting up now
1: uh short answer is yes i mean the whole tech and venture space is going to continue to grow massively Mm. over the next 10 hopefully 20 plus years um being in venture allows you to constantly be at the forefront of change anyway. So Mm. if, you know, at the moment, a lot of venture is looking at fintech and software as a service and things like that, which are quite tangible technologies. But, you know, there is also further down the hype cycle, there is a lot of stuff happening around virtual reality and space and things like that. And as those become more kind of mainstream, as a venture capitalist, you can quite easily say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to direct funds into, into those sorts of businesses. So you, you're constantly at the cutting edge, which Mm. again is, is, is great. Um, But in terms of like more roles, yes, there are definitely going to be more roles. And uh, with that, there is also going to be more competition. um, and And there's a lot happening at the moment around opening up those opportunities to a, a, broader set of candidates than maybe has historically happened so Mm. um that's a big positive but yeah i mean anyone really can end up being a venture capitalist but there are a few things that help so one is um an understanding of finance and that can come in various forms whether it going and working in finance or running your own PL and knowing how a company actually operates. Mm-hmm. Um, you also need to, uh, you can, you can also come at it from a founder perspective um, having run a company as a, you know, obviously the finance side, but also just knowing a bit about products, a bit about leadership, a bit about management, a bit about marketing from doing it yourself. You have a better view of a company than if you've maybe just being stuck in one particular role in a big company doing one thing, you're, you're gonna struggle to really analyze the go-to-market strategy of a new company or the product strategy of a new company, because you, you've never had to necessarily do those things. So, um, so, yeah, there are a few different ways to come at being a venture capitalist, and that, yeah, if anyone wants to find out more about how they might want to move towards that, um, yeah I'm happy to to for people to get in touch with me and me to kind of make suggestions on what kind of is missing from their current remit to to make them a a viable candidate for for being a venture capitalist.
0: That's very kind of you. um so what interests me as well and I don't know if you'll agree with me, i think coming at venture capital as as you've done. Uh, you know, as a founder yourself and an entrepreneur, I think personally, I'd have more confidence in that venture fund than I would necessarily somebody who's been to university or studied finance. And okay, they have a really good appreciation for those subjects. But running a business is completely different. You know, it's not always what it says on the on the paper. You know, there's a lot that goes into it where a founder might have a better appreciation. Do you think for young people now that might want to get into into venture capital if they've got ideas to start businesses or they think about you know working at a startup that might be a better route in the future than necessarily going into university
1: um good question a few layers to it i mean there are lots of benefits to university beyond just you what you learn sure. basically um you grow up a bit in that time you become more rounded individual i think and you do come out with a, a qualification, which is a often a minimum entry to a lot of good jobs. Um, but going and working for a startup is is incredibly powerful. It's one of the things I actually miss slightly from my own CV, which I worked at some really interesting companies and I founded companies and yeah, made loads of mistakes, which have hopefully benefited me. Um, and because I've been, given a lot of responsibility in early stage companies um I've, I've had to sort of learn quite a lot about sort of different sort of parts of the business um but the bit i'm missing is like ex uber x Deliveroo, x mm-hmm. revolute and that is that is a powerful thing uh, and as an investor it shouldn't hold as much sway as it does but it is powerful when you say you know, I'm ex head of product at so-and-so yeah. and you go, okay, well you know how to build products then. Um, So going and working for a tech unicorn or scale up can be really valuable uh, to, to slap on your, your CV for whatever you go and do next, whether it's going and working in something slightly earlier stage or founding something and needing to raise money or um becoming a, freelance consultant you know people are going to say well you, you worked at that company so you must kind of know how it all works yes. um so yeah there's there's definitely there are definitely lots of different routes university is just one of them um but i think university plus some like household name tech experience um plus some hard skills either around finance product or growth in brackets marketing um you know you're pretty employable if you yeah. if you can do one of those well and you've worked at a big company and you've got a degree.
0: Right. Um, and also talking about roles, uh, you know, as you grow your company, as you come to make hires, what kind of roles are actually in venture capitalism?
1: Yeah, so running a venture firm really is, well, it's made up of a few parts, but the main the main three parts of running a venture capital firm are operations which is going to be legal accountancy finance um and when i say finance i mean like regulation and compliance and stuff Mm. like that um you can outsource that bit and smaller funds like ours have a partner that kind of cover the operational side but you still need to be able to read the contracts that they provide you and everything so you, you, you need to know a bit about that fundraising which is more commonly known as investor relations, so going out to family offices, high net worths, banks, institutions, pension funds, whatever it might be, to to raise money for your fund, um, investor relations is a. I think it's quite a satisfying role because you can come at it from all different angles, and and you can start to become you know, investor relations person, either at a startup or in a big bank or in an insurance company, you know, lots of companies have people that are doing kind of client management, which can end up being kind of like fundraising. And then you're in the investor relations world. And those jobs are really important because without funds, you've got nothing to invest. So you, you need to be good at investor relations and lots of different companies and roles can lead you to being an investor relations person. Mm -hmm. Third one is obviously executing deals. So investment director or chief investment officer. Um, And the starting point of that is like associate, um, which is, or intern, then associate, then senior associate. And then you might be like an investment director um, and partners are generally, on the whole, they are all investing partners. So they're all part of the investment committee. You might have an operations partner who's not, but on the whole, partners are. Mm -hmm. Um, But then marketing and content and things like that have become really, really important. I mean, um, some of the listeners might be aware of a guy called Harry Stebbings, who's only 26, and he's just raised a £140 million fund. He's actually got a few funds, but that's his flagship. And he started by starting a podcast when he was 18 and interviewing VCs and he interviewed so many VCs. I think he's got over 3000 episodes now (laughs) that, um, it's called 20 minute VC, his podcast. He interviewed so many that he, he had this incredible network of VCs and he had all of the learnings and knowledge from speaking with them. And he started to get he started to get sponsorship for his podcast. He started to make money and he got started to get invited to very exclusive off-market deals where he would get in because of who he was, not because of his track record or <laughs> how much money he could put in or anything yeah. like that. So he started investing, you yeah, know, probably started small, you know, five, 10 K here and there. And now he, he then, he then in, was invited to be a partner at a fund he did that for a year or so saw how it all worked and then he went out and raised 140 million for his own fund so i mean <laughs> that's an amazing kind of trajectory and it it does show the power of kind of like networking content distribution um and general kind of like people knowing who you are in the mm-hmm. market because without that deals are more and more competitive and founders need to want to work with you so you need to uh, you need to build some form of reputation and awareness around who you are and why people should care and even consider you if they're also getting knocks on the door from the the top top funds like sequoia or index or excel you know these are these are big vc firms that have been around since like the 80s and 90s and have invested in lots of unicorns and have deep pockets and it's hard to compete with them without having something unique and social media is still relatively new but younger founders and investors sorry younger investors know more about that than maybe some of the older partners and so there's an opportunity to kind of like carve your your own brand into the venture scene at the moment, which is exciting.
0: That's so interesting because this keeps coming up in every industry we've talked about. Um, You know, social media is five, 10 years old now, but it's still providing such a huge opportunity in so many different industries. Um, So for for it to be in VC itself, I mean, that's, I I wouldn't even think that was part of it. So that's really interesting.
1: Yeah, and it it, it can come in any form, really. So um, obviously, Harry is a podcaster. I do podcasting. Some other VCs do, but there's still not that many. It's maybe like ten good podcasts within the whole venture space, like globally, that I can I can literally uh, think of. Mm. There aren't loads that I go to regularly and think oh, that's where I want to go to hear about venture. Harry's is one of them, and hopefully ours is becoming one of them um but yeah that's just podcasting but there are people that are doing really good substack newsletters there are people now doing tiktok channels there are people that stream live on twitch and interview founders there's there's still so much sort of blue sky around mm. creating a brand creating a knowledge hub and and then also being able to kind of distribute being able to if you've got a million followers whether it's listeners on a podcast, followers on Instagram, streamers on Twitch, whatever it is, if you said, I've just invested in this company, I mean, that company is going to get a huge benefit from that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, distribution is is also important post-investment. Uh, so, yeah, and you just have to look at influencers. They, um, they're they now launching their own brands. You've got, like, Spencer Matthews from Made in Chelsea launching a non-alcoholic gin brand. And that's kind of like the future. It used to be like the Ryan Reynolds of this world would launch the gin brand. Now mm. it's like an influencer. And I'm sure in five years it'll be like, well, less, it's already happening. TikTokers are launching like venture firms and yeah, their own clothing brands and drinks brands and everything like that, because that's a better way to monetize their audience than just being told to hold up a new fake town or whatever it is.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly that. I mean, we had um our the episode that just released today actually. Um, Vic, she owns the first or one of the first TikTok first marketing agencies, and she started that purely because she started her on TikTok when it was musically, um, and within a year she did, gained a million followers, all about beauty and um, beauty uh, tutorials. And now it's got to the point where she's so good at TikTok that brands have come to her, and she started her own agency. So you're right, distribution and an audience and awareness is just completely vital to business. So that's interesting it's in VC. Um, But for you, if somebody's thinking of going into it, what would be some key personality traits that you think would really help you in, in the world?
1: So I would say there's a, there's a few things. So one is um, it's a very relationship-driven business. So personal way of, well, it, being good at relationships helps. Um, that's not to say every VC is or uh, or that I am but it it does help you have to try and build rapport and ultimately you're trying to get a deal over the line and there's lots of different perspectives and interests around the table so being able to kind of manage that complexity and and get everyone on the same page is is really important Um, I would say that organization is really really important with venture if you can imagine there's a pot of money and there's lots of people that want to get money, then um, you can be quite overwhelmed with the response when you announce a new fund or you do a deal or and it gets announced or whatever it might be. Um, so you have to be really controlled and measured with your organization. Um, I have a policy of no ghosting, uh, no, no professional ghosting. So um, <laughs> if a founder reaches out, we'll always reply. Um, I like that because if I was a founder, that's what I would want. And it saves the founder having to like follow up when it's not relevant. So we do respond, but we don't always respond with essays. You know, sometimes it can be quite short and that doesn't feel great, but it's better than them wasting their time following up and everything. Um, So I'm personally um, kind of like inbox zero. My calendar is down to like every 15 minutes is pretty much documented so I've got pretty good habits around like being super controlled and focused and organized around how I manage my time. Um, and yeah, so I'd say just like being organized, being good at relationships, um, being able to read contracts and and read balance sheets. It, it, it is important, you know, due diligence. You still need to know like what are the terms with that advisor they've got? How long is their office lease um what does the marketing budget look like in year four within their financial plan you have to end up sort of being able to read those documents and understand what they mean and how to dive into them so yeah it's kind of like yeah sorry i'm probably repeating no no
0: no, no, honestly really great Um, answer
1: legal financial people and an organization
0: (laughs) sure um and for you what would be the number one positive of working within this industry
1: do you know what there's it's a bit of a funny one but there is something weirdly satisfying about finding a company that's pre-launch working with them in some way whether that's investing or advising or introducing them to someone and then a year later you're just watching tv and you see their advert on tv and you're like yeah. that is actually pretty cool yeah. um so i do find that really satisfying that is like a Goosebumpy bumpy moment when you've been right at the inception working with a founder and then you see that that company or product in the real world whether it's on a bus ad or someone using the app on the tube or whatever it might be it's it's kind of yeah weird feeling um but in on from a sort of day-to-day perspective i just think that there is something also, very exciting where you, you have a lot of founder meetings. So, you, you spend a lot of time on Zoom or mm. drinking coffee. And um, uh, most of them, unfortunately, you're not going to invest. So, that's not particularly fun. But when you find one where you're like, how have I not known about this before? This person is incredible. I cannot wait to spend more time with this founder and understand how they're going to solve this problem. And then you go and tell someone else about it and they go, that's amazing. I would definitely use that. Your energy is just like all consuming. You're like, I have to get into this deal. I have to help this company raise the right money. I'm so bullish about their future. And often you'll know that within kind of 60 seconds or less of meeting the founder. So those are great meetings and it's very exciting. And maybe that's a bit of advice to everyone as well. Anyone's listening that, is thinking about fundraising, um, investors will will probably know pretty quickly and if they haven't disclosed to kind of follow up by the end of the meeting or within sort of 24 hours of meeting you, then nine times out of 10, it's probably a no, mm. um, but that's okay because it's a very selective entry model and try and learn from that experience and see where did they get energy? Where did that energy drop? Like how do you alter your your pitch and your business model and your team and everything to to being something that would be more interesting for the next
0: investor? Sure. And then on the flip side of that, what would be sort of something that's less positive or maybe a bit negative about working in the industry?
1: It's a lot of work. So I, I think some VCs would get accused of being lazy because they don't respond to stuff. The fact that they're not responding to stuff is is probably because they have got way too much to do. So um, you get, as I said, you get quite a lot of inbounds, then you have quite a lot of meetings, and then you have a lot of follow-up and deals to do. On top of that, you've also got to manage your existing portfolio. So you've got to go and speak to that founder that you backed a year ago and find out what happened in the last quarter and things mm. like that. And so you're you're under quite a lot of time pressure. And if you let it slip, it can get ahead of you and overwhelming. And then you start missing out on deals and things like that. Um, so it it can be quite a lot of work but I personally think it's really fun work so that's okay Um, and the biggest negative is unfortunately having to say no to people and sometimes it's there is no explanation really it's it's a hunch or a feeling or a, a lack of energy for what this business is it's not that they're doing anything wrong or they're not a good founder it's it's a feeling you get where you go, I'm not the right investor or I'm, I'm not jazzed about this. So I I can't take it forwards because I'm also talking to 10 other founders. So Mm. yeah, there are some negatives, but you know, I, yeah, some of them are just sort of the emotional side of, of, of unfortunately have to say no to people.
0: Sure. And would you still go into this industry knowing everything you know now?
1: Yes, a hundred percent. Firstly, tech broadly is a great space to be in. As I said, you can kind of be at the cutting edge of new waves of interest and growth industries, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, when I started in tech, we weren't where we are today. So there was a lot less funding around, there wasn't anyone who had built a big tech company in the UK at all. Mm -hmm. We were still asking questions like, can UK build a Google? Now it's completely different. We have over hundred unicorns in the UK. Wow! We've got lots of unicorns across Europe. We've got companies like Revolut and Deliveroo and Babylon Health and Kazoo and Klarna in Sweden, Stripe in Ireland. You know, we've got some really big tech companies. And as a result of that, there are loads of other people that really know what they're doing in the tech space. So they've mm. worked in product or growth or they founded a business or they worked in operations or they were a VC that backed one of those companies and they've seen these businesses go from zero to billions in market cap. And now they're taking all that knowledge and going back into early stage stuff for themselves or with more employee shares or as an investor with bigger tickets. And so that success flywheel is happening right now and there couldn't be a better time for people to look at either getting into tech or founding a company or eventually, you know, being a VC or yeah, looking to angel invest in early stage as well, which capital is at risk within your own means, but you know, it can be a very fun way to dabble in the tech space without necessarily having to quit a high paid job in law or banking, or if you're a doctor or whatever.
0: Well, Thank you so much for your time, James. It's been uh, it's been a great to hear about venture capitalism, learning more about it. It sounds incredibly exciting. And yeah, thank you uh, for coming on.
1: No problem. Thanks so much for having me, Daniel. I hope some of that was useful to people. And um, I'm 100% accessible individual. So I'm on LinkedIn, James Pringle, anyone can come and find me.
0: Amazing. Thank you.